Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we talk with actors, artists, and creators about their work, career, and current obsession. I'm your host, Patrick Holland, and today, my guest is actor B.D. Wong, who is best known for his roles on Broadway, in films like Father of the Bride, Jurassic Park, and Mulan, as well as for being on shows like Law & Order SVU, Oz, and Mr. Robot, for which he was nominated for an Emmy Award for his performance as White Rose. He can currently be seen in the second season of Aquafina is Nora from Queens as Wally, Aquafina's father. This interview was recorded at the beginning of August over the internet, so please forgive any audio weirdness. Let's jump right into um, Aquafina is Nora from the Queens. Um, I guess my first question is, how did you become involved with the show? What was like the pitch to you that you're like, I should do this? A pitch I knew of of Aquafina and Aquafina was really a thing on the tip of everyone's conversation at the time when I was asked to do this. It was like she was a very exciting person to watch, is a very exciting person to watch what happens with. She's had different facets of her career already in her young life. They've She's maneuvered her way through different mediums and has um, just always doing something interesting. I already was predisposed to doing a show with her, but when they called and asked me to do this show with her and play her dad, I didn't hesitate. Uh, it was it was kind of what you call a no-brainer to me. I really just, I was, I felt very excited and lucky to be asked. And you play Wally, her father. How would you describe Wally? Wally is a, a, a dad, they live in Queens. They're, you know, um, it's based upon her real life where she grew up in Queens with her dad and her grandma. Her mother died very, very early. Um, um, We established that in season one and in season two, we get a little bit more into the void that not having a mom has left for her as a kid and for the father, Wally, as a a person. And um, he is a guy with a 20 something daughter who lives at home. He lives at home with his mother. He takes care of his mom and um, he's, also a kind of guy who's just doing the best he can. He wants to tell his daughter what she should do. She should get out of the house. She should get a job. She should do this. But at the same time, he also wants her to find her own way. And it's a very difficult balance for a parent to experience that. I kind of relate to that. I know I have a, a 20, young 20-something son, and I do relate. To, I feel that all the time. Like, just let him do his thing and don't ask him or say too much or whatever. And I do relate to that part of Wally. Um, And I think people like Wally because he is trying the best that he can and he's he's fumbling and um, not always making the right choice, but it's very kind of human, I think, in a way that he does. I completely agree. And I think that uh, ultimately this is a comedy and Aquafina's energy is so unique. And the fact that you're able to fit into it so well, um, and I, season two, I got to see a few episodes and I just want to ask one about one particular scene. I don't think this gives anything away. It's in the second episode. And I think you're watching like a cops like show on TV and she comes in and has this strange mark on her neck. And you're like, Oh, why does it look like Texas? Um, and then there's this, uh, implication that maybe Nora's not the most healthy person when you're doing a scene like that. And you also have, uh, your mother who is, uh, is just hysterical as well. Yes. What is your mindset as an actor? And then how do you get through a scene where so many ridiculous moments are happening? 
I think you always want to start with what the feelings or the motivations or the, um, I mean, just to talk acting talk, right? It's it's kind of like, what's the truth of the scene? The scene is they're, they're, they're watching TV. So you're playing at watching TV. There's this interruption. The interruption introduces the topic of her not being healthy. It actually is, in the terms of family conversations, an opportunity to raise something that you've already maybe wanted to be able to say before, but here's a chance to say it because she's looking at herself thinking, what the hell is this thing on my neck? And then you can kind of, okay, this is a chance. You know, when you're a parent, you often are like looking for those chances to say important things without seeming like you're saying important things. This is why having a conversation with your kid is so much easier when you're driving because you don't have to look at them. You can just say, hey, um, I was just wondering why you didn't get a job, you know, like things like that. So that's what this is. I think it's an opportunity for him. And then there's also a comic possibility of this whole thing about this thing that looks like Texas that's on her, on her, on her, was it Florida or Texas? Was it Texas? I think it was Texas. Yeah. Yeah. On her neck, whatever. It's like a weird grow, uh, just color, you know, the rash or something like that. And the, the way that we're all and responding to it. And, you know, a, a big thing that happens in the show every once in a while is a lot of people kind of screaming um, in, in kind of rapid fire succession. And that's always fun in a show. Um, uh, and, and so there's that, there's timing of that. And there's, um, so, so there's a lot of elements actually that you're take, looking after. If, if you have the truth, that's the bottom of it, then you can kind of be really wacky and get away with more wackiness as long as you can return to that kind of um, the important sentiment of that particular scene. And saying clearly you've never been in a wacky comedy before. Um, uh, you're a rare actor who gets to do very, very, very funny roles, but also very, very dramatic roles. And I'm wondering if when you were younger, was that something you worked hard to establish that you could go in between uh, such different material or is it, did it just happen? And how are you able to sustain that uh, this, this long into your career? Yeah, it's funny that you say that because when people ask me what I'm looking for in a script, I always say the same thing, which is I'm always looking for the thing that moves me and makes me laugh. Those things have to both be present. If one of them is missing, the thing is not as satisfying to me. And I guess that's exactly what we're talking about, right? Is that I want the opportunity to do both of those things in any given project. I think that comes from, also it comes from wanting to be a character actor and character actors do different things also, you, oh, always. You, you, you always try to get outside of yourself, what you look like, what you sound like. Um, if you're like a diehard character actor, you're looking for different ways to uh, transform yourself. And so those roles are going to be um, present, not only in comedies, but also in dramas. They're, that's where you find those roles. And, and those, so, the, so the, you have to be able to do both of those things in order to be a character actor because um, there's something missing from your from your um, identity as a performer if you can't do both. I want to talk about probably one of my favorite roles you've ever played, which is White Rose on Mr. Robot. Um, you got nominated for an Emmy for your performance. Do you remember when you were first approached about the role? And then what was it about that role in particular that drew you to it? I, I totally remember this. And I remember being very skeptical about it and saying, well, I don't understand what this is. And this was colored by Sam Esmail, the creator of the show and the director of the show, colored by him and the USA Network and the production being very tight-lipped about the show itself. 
And throughout the whole four seasons, no, three out of the four seasons, I'd say, there was a fair amount of uh, need-to-know basis explanations of a very, sometimes very fundamental things. And the, I remember my first scene shooting the, the scene with Rami and Malik and the first time I was ever in the show, not knowing basic plot points of what I was talking about and having to say, I need somebody to explain something to me so that I know what I'm playing, what I'm doing. You usually go into, into overdrive coming up with or finding backstory and explaining you know, details and all that. And, and this was completely blind and was also an opportunity for you to learn how to trust a director writer who would just tell you everything, sometimes right before you shot something. And so when I was proposed this, I, there was a cloak of mystery surrounding it, just like the character in real life, actually. I was told the character was a trans character. I was told that um, the character would figure more importantly in the show as it went into the show. I didn't really believe that, but that really happened. And then I was skeptical because we were just at this moment where we were acknowledging that there were great trans actors and that trans actors should play trans roles. And I was theoretically taking a trans act, a role from a trans actor. And I didn't want to do that. And at the same time, the, 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 the role itself was kind of fluid and the, the, the role uh, needed to interface in, in worlds as a, as a man and as a woman. And I, I wanted the part really badly. I just really wanted to do it. And so I would never do it again. I think that was my time to do that. And it, and it kind of played itself out. But at the time, I was pretty um, nervous about, about actually doing that. Um, and that's why I try to take the opportunity to talk about it whenever I can. Um, but it was scary. I wasn't sure what I was getting myself into at all, but I loved it. And I, and I got better and better and more interesting as it went on. This, every scene in every episode in every season was a, like a gift to me. And my relationship with Michael Christopher, who played um, Philip Price, and Grace Gummer, who played um, 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 Dom, um, those you know those working relationships were particularly fun for me and i i it's some of the funnest acting that i've ever been able to um been able to do um I, and i and i worked very hard on all the scenes in season four and i'm particularly happy with the way the scenes came out in season four All right, so you've obviously been in so many different films and shows, but a lot of the ones you've been involved with have very, very loyal and very, very specific fan bases. Yeah. You got like the Law and Order SVU people, the Mr. Robot people, the American Horror Story fans, your fans of your Broadway work, the Jurassic Park fans. First question, can you tell those fans apart and are there qualities that certain fans have that are very unique? Oh God, yes, okay. This is the, the thing about this because social media has allowed us to connect people, uh, to put them all together in one kind of place. Um, and you see these factions of people and you realize they don't know about each other because they're kind of out of touch with where I've gone or what I've done, or I don't know why that actually is, but they do it. And you, I'm always trying in some way to kind of bring them together or to try to let them know about each other or to overlap things. And it's, it's challenging and interesting and, and um, 
um, uh, oh, very curious and mysterious, but they are the, 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 the dinosaur fans. They're so, some of them are so obsessed with dinosaurs in, in general as a concept, only dinosaurs, not even particularly the movies, the, the Jurassic franchise, but just dinosaurs. So what dinosaurs are gonna be in the next movie? You will have this Spinosaurus, won't you? And we will get to see it standing at its full erect height won't we like they need they have their, they're very specific about what they really want to see and the the, the the svu fans all they say is when are you coming back which i find very tiresome actually but they say it and, and <laughs> i never answer the question um um but they 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 are they are people who are brand loyal they're a bit in a cult i think because like they only see this one thing and they want that thing not to change. They, they're very funny about that. And the Broadway people are wonderful. I, you know, that's my kind of my first love in some ways. So I love that community. Um, and I love the inside jokes of that community and all of that. It just, just and the Mr. Robot people are really severely um, um, uh, loyal and insist in a very rightful way that it's the best show that they've ever seen in the history of television, which is kind of nice to hear and um, but and but really intense. Well, let me ask you this. So you've obviously played a number of doctors in films and on TV, and I have a list of all of them. I'm not going to read all of them, but <laughs> which hey, one's your favorite? They're all. Which one's your favorite doctor? It used to be. I think I've grown out of it now. But it used to be my dreading moment to go into a wardrobe fitting and worry about whether there'd be a lab coat hanging on the rack like I Let's, can we can, can we explore this can we talk about this because to be honest like i think it also shows how uh, as a society and culturally things have progressed a bit yeah. and um actually we were talking about uh one of my producers and i were talking about father the bride and we're like oh my god we're so funny but then like how that's progressed like yeah. how the presentation of homosexual characters has progressed on screen um but yeah why was there that dread for you about the possibility because i had done it so much i mean it was doctor this and doctor that and every time i got a new doctor you just had a different asian surname for the most part and then the question is well does he have to look doctory too you know like does it did you and, and they often or almost always need and want you to look like a doctor and have a doc, have a lab coat on. The lab coat is like almost like it's just part of the iconography of it, and that it, that used to depress me. I used to think that was just so awful. Well, because I'm also into the I'm always into the costume and the clothes. I'm really always into the fitting. I love working and collaborating with costume designers, and that was one inhibiting factor. Right, it just wasn't interesting to me to wear a lab coat. Um, so it, it, that's kind of I have complicated feelings about that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. The name of our podcast is I'm So Obsessed. What are you currently obsessed about? 
I'm currently obsessed about a renovation for my new apartment, which is a wonderful joy and also a great frustration. Um, <laughs> it's an incredible right. amount of time. I'm very, we're very excited about moving into this new place. It's, it's not happening when we want it to. It should have happened maybe, you know, the pandemic was really hard for anybody was doing that kind of work. And it's still the legacy of the pandemic has made it really hard to secure people to come and work um, in, in those um, wonderfully specialized jobs that construction sites have to have. And, and so, but I'm obsessed with moving. I'm obsessed with purging my stuff so that I don't have to move into a new place with a lot of extra stuff, which is a big thing for me. I'm a bit of a hoarder. And um, I'm, 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 I'm also really enthusiastic about the premiere of, um, of the show. Aquafina is Nora from Queens on Comedy Central and Wednesdays at 10 p.m. because um, I really believe in it. I really think it's a cool show. And I want more people to even know about it and 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 walk, tune into it because in the center of the show is this crazy, wonderful performer, Aquafina, who if you don't know who she is, you really have to get with the program. And all of the wonderful characters that surround her, including Bo and Yang from Saturday Night Live, who's also- I say he's great on there too, yeah. Off in his own way right at this moment. So it's full of great things to look at. Um, so I hope people will check it out. Now I'm gonna follow that with probably the stupidest thing you will ever be asked or, or shared with. Oh, I don't know, but okay, let's see. Oh, okay, okay. Well, yeah, what is the stupidest thing you've ever been asked? <laughs> um, but I'll say this, that I can't remember the exact place I was, but I found an article online years ago and I need to thank you. And it was about, it documented your skincare routine when you were playing a role at San, in San Francisco at ACT Theater. I think the show was The Great Leap. Yeah. And it showed, because uh, you in that show, you play a 24-year-old oh. version of your character. Yeah. And you were doing all these different routines to keep your skin nice and tight and young. And I'm like, I got to try this. And it was that, uh, I don't know if I say it right, hyaluronic acid. Hyaluronic acid, baby. Yeah. Look at this. This is like two uh, and a half years of that. I'm like, yes, of course. Yes, you look fantastic. Oh, I wasn't looking for that, but thank where did, you. Um, where, where did you, you went out and bought hyaluronic acid or products? That, I bought the whatever it was. I don't. If you want to, I can, we don't have sponsors. No, I, I, uh, I, there was I, the new, I, I, Neutrogena one that I, I, you were I, I, using, and I was like, a high, high, what a hydro boost mask. <laughs> yes, like, I, I, I bought them in bulk. Actually, I'm shouldn't we? We're not getting paid to 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 push products. We will now. We'll, we'll make sure we have a PO box. But so it so was, have it, the, and also it just makes Neutrogena. you feel good. Like it, it's a it, it makes you feel good kind of starting the day or getting, you know, doing an interview or something like that, it really helps you to kind of put your best foot forward. It does. And I know people always say Paul Rudd is ageless. Oh my God. But I'd argue he's just following in your wrinkle-free footsteps. Wrinkle-free so. footsteps. Um, <laughs> well, you know, and he should stay, you know, I hope he's socially distancing if he is. I'm sure he is. And if it's, I'm sure the two of you guys, um, we were saying like you fit in that kind of category. I call it the Tony Hawk category of celebrity where you just, I don't hear, we don't hear BD Wong controversy. We hear BD Wong like, oh, I love him in this or I love him in that. You know, it's like, uh, and, um, but I do want to bring it to a little more serious stuff. As someone who is on stage and screen a lot, 
Honor, can you share why it's important not only to have healthy skin, but just generally being healthy all around and how that's helped you through your career? Yes, you know, I've been teaching a little bit this summer. I, I took over for a teacher who dropped out of a, a class in the Stella Adler Musical Theater Intensive this summer. And I have been teaching more and uh, in the last few years. And I, I do think that one of my things that I talk about is that we are as actors, the instrument that we're playing. And so we have to take care of the instrument that we're playing. We don't, you know, we don't put it in a case at the end of the day, it's us. And that means emotionally, mentally, as well as physically, we have to actually put a lot of extra thought and care into taking care of it so that it can do what it needs to do for us. We have to be clear-minded. We, well, you have to always have to be clear-minded to, to achieve any kind of work task, but you really do need to feel um, healthy in order to kind of do the things that we have to do. Even what I'm doing with you, like two days now of long interviews and days, there's a stamina that you need to have. You need to be able to be on and stuff like that. And that requires a, a, a fair amount of energy and you can't take it lightly. You can't be like messing around all night, late into the night and expect to get up in the next day and be actually, uh, you're the top of your game. And so I would say general health is an absolute must when it comes to uh, being productive as a performer, but also as a person getting through the day. It, it, it plays such a huge part of the way you feel about yourself, you know, your self-esteem. Your I, I didn't have a good night's sleep uh, last night, and I went to the gym today, and I felt immeasurably better having gone to the gym and talking about how I had a bad sleep and getting it all out of my system. Uh, probably the the big show that got you out or got a lot of attention was your Broadway debut in M Butterfly. Yes, that was over three decades ago. Ooh. I say that not as a uh, negative thing, but what does that show mean to you? And what does that time in theater, when with everything that was going on in the late '80s, what does that mean to you? I I have such a debt of gratitude to that show, and the show, of course, opened doors for me, and it also taught me a lot about my my um, power and my um, uh, instincts as a performer, and and I learned a great deal. I was very young, and I um, it means a great deal to me. The play is a really interesting, specific play of its time. It would be very hard to do that play again. In fact, they did do a, a revival of, on Broadway a few years ago, and it struggled a little bit with trying to figure out how to incorporate trans issues into this story of um which was almost like a fairy tale almost about relationship between two men one of whom is pretending to be a woman and um so i have a very soft spot in my heart for that there was a time that was a time broadway was kind of in not hibernating but it was finding its way when was the disnification of times square that was after this. That would have been maybe even 10 years after this, right? I have make a joke. When I first came to New York, there used to be this marquee that they would put on all theaters that were closed. And it said, see a Broadway show for the fun of it. And they, there were many theaters that had this at, at any given time, a lot of dark theaters in, in, in New York. And then um, Broadway was transformed and, and became a real 
um, destination for people to come from out of town more so than ever before. And now it's thriving. I mean, it took a hit, of course, a huge hit by the pandemic, but it has all signs of becoming normal again at some point. And the success of the popularity of the brand of Broadway grew. But after this, this kind of sleepy time that I think M. Butterfly was a part of. And um, so it's a very, I'm very nostalgic about it. I first came to New York in the 80s and I was very, you know, in love with Broadway, no matter how much of a um, phenomenon it was to the rest of the world. And I have always, always loved it. And I, I still love it. And I think it's a little bit kind of, it's, there's a, it's a two-way street. There's a little bit of commercialization and all of that stuff that happens when something becomes really popular. But um, the show means a lot to me to answer your question. And, and the, the, being old enough to remember the town in different um, stages of its development, and of course the theater district and Broadway in its different stages of development is meaningful to me and actually enhances and 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 um, bolsters my feelings about it. I mean, it makes my feelings really deep. Well, and you've done obviously work, um, we were talking about your a play at ACT, a regional theater. Um, you've done a number of shows. Is there a show or a role that you've not got to do in theater or a musical that you really want to? My go-to answer used to be, oh, I really wanted to play um, Iago in Othello. I, I just wanted to find some great dude to play Othello and make him make me his Iago in the show. And I think that's just a great part. I don't know if it's a great play to do and I don't know if it really, anybody cares about it. And I'm not really that crazy about Shakespeare but I do think that would be a fun part to play. Um, and so there's parts like that, you know, I, I think classic parts that are super juicy and, 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 and are interpretable in any number of ways, you know, villainous parts, but they could have humanity added to them. If you play them right, those are the kind of parts that I think are really the most interesting. We do a thing called pick one, and I'm gonna give you a couple choices and have you pick one. It doesn't mean the thing that you pick is better than the other things, but uh, I'd like to play pick one. Is that, so, is that okay? Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll play anything with you. Great. All right, man. So the first thing, this is, I'm I'm not going to apologize, but this is probably the hardest one. Pick one, TV, film, or theater. Theater. What is it like performing in theater versus performing in something like, um, like Nora and Queens? Well, I, I love performing in Nora from Queens, which is, I've already established, right? So nobody- <laughs> you, not, You've I'm established. Really, and I'm not faking that. But what, what I would say is that you get a very different rush of human experience when the people who are you're trying to make laugh are actually there in the room with you. You can have a semblance of that experience when the crew laughs at you or when the other actors laugh at you. And that's why we like to see the gag reel for the end of a season of a show, because we want to see the laughter and hear everyone cracking up and stuff. But as far as as a human being to rehearse a play for four weeks and then go out on stage and do that play and play that part, let's say it's the comedy and to have the collected audience respond to your work and the other actors that are on stage with you in a way that you're creating a kind of communication with them is it's like a primal um, uh, 
almost religious experience, really. It's not like the technical part of what makes movies great or what makes television shows great. And there are things that make those things great. Um, the, the, the ability for an editor and director to manipulate a performance to make it as best as it can be or how it serves the, the director best for her or his vision is really a real thing. But for the actor, it's more fun to just do the performance and not have anyone mess with it. Um, and the, 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 there's no way that you can ever do a, a performance in a television show or in a movie and not have your performance be messed with. It's just not possible. And so because of that, of course, I feel more alive and more interested and more um, empowered and more connected to the audience when, when I'm having the theatrical experience. And I look for that all the time. I look for a play which will give me, the, the play that I did at, at ACT called The Great Leap was a perfect example of a play that had emotion and um, humor in it. And the humor was great. The laughs were huge. You felt you were just on fire doing a play like that because you were just so fueled by the audience's response to it. And you had done that in New York, but uh, I know I'm just San Francisco has a much different audience yes. than New York. Was that fun too for you? It was great. It was it was really great. It was a, it was a, what what was really interesting for me, and one of the selling points of it was we did a ninety nine seat theater at the Atlantic Theater in in New York, and then a like a eight hundred a thousand seat theater in, in uh, San Francisco, a completely different experience. The production was much bigger, grander. The performance had to be bigger. Um, so I had work to do. It wasn't just like I was walking in and doing the show again. I had to really kind of recalibrate the whole performance based upon the size of the house and the, the, the new scope of the, of the thing, as well as the chemistry with the three other actors who were different ones from the ones that we did in New York. All right, I have one more pick one and it's law and order based. I'm gonna go with this. And I think this kind of lets you have an out if you don't wanna engage it, but let's see if you do. So pick one, Team Benson, Team Stabler, or Team Bensler? Definitely Team Bensler. I don't think you can pick one or the other. I certainly am not comfortable doing so in, on public record. I think one of the, the things, as, especially if you ask the fans, they're absolutely adamant about this. That relationship was a very, the chemistry, the relationship, the tension, all of that, that was a really nice television relationship. Um, I don't think the show has suffered uh, necessarily because Chris left the show, but it's not quite the same because their relationship was very special. And it was because it was newer, it was able to be explored in a way that was really exciting to people. And the show has been on a long time now. So it's, it's become a different thing. Um, so I would definitely say the one that combines both of them is the best one. I want to ask you this. Uh, you've done lots of musicals on stage and on screen. What do you mix a great song in a musical? Like the great songs that you think that you've performed or heard other people perform, is there a quality about that that makes it work even in the sense of the play versus even listening to it on like a, um, your phone or something? Yes, this is a great, I, the, 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 the class that I taught was called Acting the Song. And so I got to see over um, um, a lot of time period, 20 students, singing a variety of different songs. Each of them I must have worked with four or five times, so like a hundred or so songs. 
but whatever, for whatever, it was a lot of songs. And I did learn a taste about songs. Again, I feel the same way about songs as I do about plays and, and movie scripts. If they combine both humor and emotion and feelings or, or, or sadness or, or can be moving, then I think they're three-dimensional and they are really, really incredible. And so the more com the ones, the songs that I gravitated to that these students did that we worked on together were songs that were complex, difficult, challenging. They required um, a certain talent to negotiate emotions and um, not just one level of something. The, the golden age musical songs, um, the song, you know, pre seventies or eighties even are more, a little bit more simplistic for the most part. Some of them are more complex, but 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 for the most part, the ones now that are being written can contain really wonderful spectrums of feelings, um, like burying things, characters burying feelings and singing about something or pretending to feel one way and not feeling that way. And, and that vulnerability uh, shows itself in the, these most complex songs. So that would be my description of what kind of song it would be. And um, so maybe um, the listeners can glean what those songs might be for themselves. I want to thank BD for chatting with me, and I want to thank you for listening. You can watch Aquafina is Nora from Queens Wednesday nights on Comedy Central. Please take a moment and subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. And if you really like this episode, please rate it. Until next time, take care.